Good morning to rainy day service, the one church service uh, we have all year in Southern California that has any rain. So uh, I hope you made it here safely and it was it was all good driving on the freeways. I know we panic when we get rain here, uh, but glad you guys made it. Uh, for those of you who are online, uh, welcome to uh, Jericho Road Church and welcome to our service together. We're going to start out by doing a little shouting together. Are you ready? What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. So we are in our third week together, nailing down this idea of build. First, we were talking about building on Jesus. Then we were talking about building to last. And now we're going to really drill into the idea of building God's house. You see how he is nailed and drilled into as those transition words? I know, clever. So, uh, so this series is called, uh, this message today is called Build His House. And, and when I uh, heard that phrase, it immediately, uh, made me think as a Rams fan, if uh, you've ever been to a Rams game or you watch Rams game, uh, uh, when they came back to L.A., they started to have this new chant at uh, SoFi Stadium. And, and what uh, they chant is the announcer guy will shout out, Whose house? And then the crowd will respond, Rams house, that kind of thing. And so when I titled this Build His House, uh, that was resonating and uh, ringing in my ears. And uh, I, I bet that's super awesome to hear like with the whole stadium cheering that like sometimes it's so loud I can hear it in the background of like the TV broadcasters uh, talking and I can hear the stadium doing that and I'm like that sounds so cool and um, honestly sometimes I do it at my house uh, by myself uh, it doesn't matter if there's uh, no other fans there I'll come in uh, we get I go fast back to church because sometimes the game's at 130 or 105 and so I hurry back to church and I, I walk in my door and I'm like who's house and no one's in the house but I'm just like who's house Rams house and then uh, you know, sometimes uh, I'll just uh, just shout it out during the game because I want to feel like I'm part of the you know part of the festivities of the crowd and and so in the middle of the game I'll shout. And my family's all home, but they don't ever watch the game with me, even though I try to pay them and bribe them. But you guys know that, right? Uh, offered them a hundred dollars to watch the game with me, my kids, and they wouldn't. I have three kids. I went over for three. None of them want to watch the game. And so, but now sometimes they do out of pity. Um, but so uh, I'll be yelling in my house, "Who's house?" and Silence. And sometimes there'll be a sweet little voice out of pity says, Ram's house, as my daughter just responds from upstairs. Now she doesn't come watch the game, so don't say aunt too much because she still left her dad hanging. But then as a pastor, I kind of feel guilty because I think of that Joshua passage that, that Joshua passage that says, Me and my house will serve the Lord, and I'm like saying whose house in my house, and I'm saying then Ram's house, but so am I and I get this like Christian pastor guilt kind of thing, right? So I was like, okay. So sometimes I'm like, God's house, yeah, that's like better. Ooh, how Christian. And uh, so then I, I feel really good and I feel part of the I feel, feel part of the Rams community, and then I don't betray my Christian values, you know, and so uh, but when I sort of think about this thing, it reminds me of this interesting old passage testament, uh, something that happened to the Israelites. And it's recorded in a, oh, not super popular book called Haggai or Haggai. And uh, here's what Haggai says, and you'll see why it reminds me of this. Uh, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shalitiel, governor of Judea, and, the, and to Joshua, son of uh, Josedek, the high priest. And so, I know, that's exciting, right? Uh, totally see what I mean. All this is saying is framing when this happens. When this happens is the Israelites had been conquered by Babylon. They were taken into captivity. And then God released them, and now they're going back into the land of Israel. So people are returning to Israel by the thousands. That's why the date part is important. And this guy Haggai, God gives him a word to tell the people. Here's what he tells them. 
This is what he tells them in the next verse. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty wants to say to you guys, the thousands and thousands of you who have returned back to Jerusalem. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Like you, you've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you'll never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it, and and I may be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be so little. What you brought home, I, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. See, God says, look, you got, you, I send you back to Israel, I let you go back, and what do you do immediately? You just care about you. You didn't care about me. Your priorities were all about the singularity of yourself. You've built your house, but not mine. You think you've done so much, but those things are all empty since you, you've neglected God. He was mad that they're, not that they built their house, that that's irrelevant. He was mad that their priorities were messed up. That, that they spent time on, and resources on their own homes, their own lives, their professions, and, and their provisions, and not on God's temple and God's priorities. See, this is a really big deal. Not so much for us now, because we're not Israelites, but at this time, the temple was the place where God would meet them. Nowadays, we have the Holy Spirit, and we can meet God all sorts of places, also, you know, in our own homes, in our cars, everywhere, but that wasn't the case. God said, the temple is where my spirit will dwell. When you pray, you pray towards the temple. When you want to go meet with God, you you go to the temple. If you want to bring a sacrifice so that your sins could be forgiven, you can't do it at home. You can't ask for forgiveness on the road. You can't ask for God's forgiveness in your own town. You've got to come to Jerusalem. You've got to come to the temple. And you've got to give that sacrifice here. The only provision for for your sins is the sacrifice made at a temple. And you haven't done it. He says, you've neglected all the things of God. You've done all these other things, and that's fine. But you haven't done the most important thing. They haven't built the temple. They can't even get their souls right with God. They can't have their sins forgiven because they haven't rebuilt God's temple. The temple for the Jewish people was not optional. There wasn't any way they could could meet with God or, or meet God's presence. It was only at the temple. That's how God had set it up in the Old Testament. And they had neglected it, choosing to build their own house rather than God's house, the holy temple. So God shouts, whose house? And they respond, my own house. But that was wrong. Because whose house needs to be met with God's house. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and he's going to say the exact same thing. They hadn't learned over all this time. Listen to what Jesus says about prioritizing God and God's stuff. He gives it in a parable. Someone in the crowd says to Jesus, they said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you guys? 
Then he says, then watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Man, he thought to himself, what shall I do? Well, I got all this extra. I got no place to even store my crops. Got so much. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big build, build bigger barns. And there I'm going to store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, oh, you have plenty of grain left for all the years and take it easy now. You got a lot of, you, you made it. You can eat, you can drink, you can be merry. But God says to him, you're a fool. This very night your life is going to be demanded from you. Then what are you going to get for all that that you prepared for yourself? This is how it's going to be with whoever stores up things for themselves but isn't rich towards God. See, again, same thing. The priorities are messed up. What do you invest in? Now, here's my brutally honest question for you and for myself. I love to ask honest, brutal question of myself, and then, ah, that's the only way to sometimes hear it really clearly. Have you invested more in yourself, in your own home, in your family, in your legacy, in your profession, in training for your profession, your education, and in your own provision? Have you invested more in that or in God's work, God's house, God's vision, God's people, God's temple? Now, often these things overlap, which is fantastic and it's by design. But the intent of each of our hearts matters. And, and only you can search your heart. I'm not saying this to... Oh, you guys aren't doing it. nothing like that. That's between you and God. You got to ask that brutally honest question of yourself as a believer. Say, God, have I prioritized my stuff or have I prioritized your stuff? Have I spent my time on me and, and my things or on you and your things? So not only does Jesus tell people to be rich towards God, he completely upends the Old Testament temple system. Because now being rich towards God wasn't about giving money so that the temple would be built. And now being rich toward God wasn't about uh, getting myself to go down and give a, an expensive sacrifice to God. Jesus in, gives a new agreement and a new way to relate and meet with God, and it's different and it's better. And we're going to see it clearly, and we've been seeing it clearly in the text that we've been using the last three weeks, including today. So this morning we saw a negative and a negative. Here's how it's supposed to look. Here's the positive. We've been looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 10, I mean in 3.10. For by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, Paul says, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that was our first week, right? Foundation stuff. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work's going to be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the, the fire's going to test the quality of each person's work. And if, if what they build survive, then they're going to get a reward for that. And if it's burnt up, then they're going to suffer that kind of loss. But, but not about salvation, right? The person will be still saved, even as one escaping the fires. Build with quality work, we were talking about last week. And here's the part we get to today. The next couple of verses say this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So he said, Jesus is the foundation, and you've got to build with quality. But what are we building? We're building God's temple. 
What is God's building? Or more specifically, who is God's building now? It isn't a physical structure any longer, like in the Old Testament. It's a people. See, God does not, he asks you to continue to build this temple just like in Haggai, but, but the temple isn't a place, it's a people. You're like, oh, snap, as they say in the 90s. God still wants us to build his house. God still wants his holy temple built on a solid foundation with quality craftsmanship, but we're not talking about a physical building anymore. You and I are the temple. The chant hasn't changed. Whose house? God's house. But the location is different. The location is not a where, but a who. God commands us to build his house. He commands us, this is our New Testament, Paul telling us as believers to build his temple, his temple, his house, and the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. And that work, that building, the thing that you're supposed to build is right next to you on your right and left. Go ahead and make them awkward for a moment. Yep, that's it. You came here this morning. This is your church this morning. Many of you have called this your dedicated church. That's where you, God is calling you to build. Not, not in this structure, not in Jerusalem, not somewhere else. God is saying, you want to, I'm commanding, I'm telling you to build my temple. Where's my temple? Your, the temple is right there, their flesh right next to you. God is asking you to build these people, to build folks up. Jesus sets this up when he commissioned uh, Peter to start the whole who thing, being the church. Jesus says to, to Peter, this is recorded in Matthew, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Simon's the name for Peter. Uh, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that, that you are Peter. Peter means rock. And on this rock, or Petros, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the building isn't a plot of land but he says, I'm going to build on you a person. Peter's commanded to build the church, and the church is people. All who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those are the people of God. Those are now the holy temple. Peter's command is to begin to build, but he's just the beginning. He's just the starter of the build, and each of our responsibilities is to continue that work. Here's God's word about that. Paul says this in Ephesians. So Christ himself, he gave some of you, he gave you apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and those kind of people. But he gave them to you so that he could equip you, the people, for works of service. So that the people or the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature altogether, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So building the temple is building people. God called me to the first part of this verse. I, I see my titles in there, pastor, somewhere right there. So God says, pastor, I need you to help build the church. But what is my part? My part isn't to do everything. It's not to, to take, my part is to care and shepherd for your soul. And that your part is to build the church. That, that's your guys' job. So if ever you're like, man, this church sucks, that's not on me, that's on you. You're the builders of the church. I'm the, I'm the guy who like commissioned it. I'm like, oh, okay, build. And then the workers are the workers. They've got to build the church. But we get so backwards in America, right? The pastor's supposed to, he's the spiritual one, he does all the work. No, that's not what the Bible says. You know, I don't like the Bible anymore. You know, That's on you and not on me. 
I'm, I'm, I'm trying my part. I'm trying to equip you. I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to offer Bible studies and small groups. And we're trying to give you all these kind of tools. And, but you all got to be the builders of the church. Not me. There, there's no other place. And this is just like the Haggai thing. You're like, well, you do you. I do me, right? That's your job, pastor. I'm going to take care of my stuff. But, but what, did, what did God just say about that? In Jesus' parable and in, in, in his rebuke, of the Israelites. I equip, you do the quality work of service, the beautiful building of the body, as y'all attain together the full measure of Christ. We do this thing together. It's seen just a couple of verses later. Paul continues the thought and he says this, from him, uh, the whole body, that him is Jesus, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, it grows and it builds itself up in, in love as each part does its work. Love God and love others. Interesting how that always works out. See, this work isn't a pastoral work. This is an all-of-us work. Our church, I'll tell you, generally we smash this one. Like We're really good at this. Like An average church in America, about 30% of people serve, 30 to 40% of the people are volunteering at the church. In our church... We have about 70% of our folks serving at any given time. So, fantastic, right? So we kind of cheer, but 70%, uh, that's a C-, minus, right? Um, which of you parents, honest, you were totally stoked when your kids came home with that C-? minus? Nope, nope, not one. Let's get to 90%. See, 90% is the Asian C-. minus. Right? That's like, that's the minimum. The Americans say C is average. No, it's not. 90% is Asian C minus, right? So let's get to the place where the only person who isn't serving in church, it's like, is that racist? <laughs> it's kind of? Is it, is it not true? All right. So I'm just saying, hashtag not racist. <laughs> In case you're watching online, my wife is Korean. We've adopted from Korea and China. I'm the only person in my entire, you know, like white person in the entire group of my well, family, my immediate family. So I'm, <laughs> I'm the minority at my house. So I want to get to this place where our church is the only person, like everyone's serving in church 100%. So if someone's not serving, it means they're, they're a guest. That's it. They're, the only people not serving, they're a visitor, they're a newcomer. They've just been here two weeks. And, but don't worry, by third week, we're going to get them in. You know, we're going to build them up. We're going to say, come on, join us in building this church. Come on, this is going to be fantastic if we do it together. If Pastor Sam builds the church, guess what it's going to look like? It's going to look janky if I try to do everything myself. It's impossible. I don't have that much talent or skill. Now, some pastors are really talented and skillful, and they build really great stuff by themselves. But not me. You came to the wrong place if you wanted that guy. I'm, uh, I'm the, hey, can you help me build this guy? I can do a couple of things. I, I got a few things I do pretty well, and I'll jump in and help with those things. But I can't build this church. Impossible. Only we together can build this church. So God is calling you right now to a work, to build, just like he used Haggai to remind the people to build God's house in the Old Testament. God is using this morning, this sermon that I, I get the privilege of giving you to remind you to build his house. And we're, we're building it together right here at JRC. Sometimes it gets like overly conceptual. 
Like, oh, the whole church. Yeah, God wants us to build the church as in the universal church. But you actually have to go to a location. You have to go to a physical place to go to church. And that's your local church. And that's where God wants you to do your building. As a builder, you can't jump from one house to the next. So your company has a bunch of house projects. That's sort of like the, the universal church, right? There's a church here and a church there and a church there. But as a builder, I can't just go uh, three days here and then go to the next house and do a few days here and a few days there and a few days there and just hop around to all these kind of houses. It wouldn't work out. I'm not, that wouldn't create quality structures. That would create disconnect. And I, and I wonder that that's part of the problem with American Christianity is that this consumer mentality of church has allowed us to jump here to here to here to here to here. And then so none of these structures look right. Even, even big mega churches, they got problems. Why? Because the people that maybe could have fixed some of their issues dipped and went to somewhere else. Right? And they jump here to here to here to here. You've you got to be at the same building site day after day if you want to build a quality house. Now, I know people often go to church uh, looking for this perfect place and, and uh, God, we want our church to be perfect, but, but I'll tell you, it doesn't exist. There's no such place as a perfect church. There are perfected people within the church. But church is never going to be perfect. But it can be better if we're willing to do quality work. And by we, I mean y'all, because I, I go here every week. You know, That means that we've got to be willing to help one another build better together. Isn't that like a political slogan, build back better together or something? We've, we've got to help one another build together. We, we've got to be willing to uh, tell someone when there's a booger on their nose. Right? That's real friendship. Oh, they got that, like that thing on their tooth right there, right there, and you get older, you get more of those. If you go home and you see that and none of your friends told you, they're not friends. <laughs> they are not friends. That is messed up. That is, you let me walk around with the swing right there the whole time. I was like, hey, everybody, hey, everybody. And you let me do that. If you're young and you're single and you let your friend do that, and how many dating opportunities they missed because they had like a booger there, they didn't know, and that girl was like, dang. And then your booger guy from then on, like that's how they know you in the library. Like, that's messed up. Don't let your friend walk around with a booger. And that's the same thing in our church. Don't, don't, let, uh, don't let those that are making mistakes within the church go without you saying something about it. Like if we're building a house and the guy's like nailing nails, but they're not going through, they're missing the stud behind, they're just going into emptiness, emptiness, emptiness. And you see that and you're building the house and you're like, oh man, that's going to be a bummer later. And you just go on and you tell the guy, you're like, dude, that wall collapses later on. That's, that is not quality building. If I'm a quality builder and I'm an electrician guy and I've noticed the nailer guy keeps missing, what do I do? A nailer guy, you're missing the stud behind there. You've got to connect those two things. He said, oh, man, chalk lines are wrong, blah, 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 whatever. Let me fix that up. I just mismeasured. And then he goes, boom, nails into the studs. Man, the building is going to be much higher quality than if I don't say something. And that's the exact same way that it works here at, at church. You've got to tell the person when things are messed up or if it's not going well because there's no such thing as a pre-made perfect church. A couple of weeks ago, our staff guys, uh, they were, they, uh, some of the, the younger staff guys were telling me, hey, Pastor Sam, we really need a little bit more structure from you. We need you to like, set some hard deadlines and help us like, say, hey, a uh, month out, check in on us, and then a couple weeks out, do this, and then sort of help manage us a, a little bit more. And, and uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. I, I'm Gen X, like for sure, real. It's like, don't tell me what to do. 
And so, like, my leadership style is like, you do this. I believe in you. You know, you got this. And it's like this. Because that's what I want, right? I don't want people to tell me what to do. And so uh, that's generally how I, I like to lead. And then they're like, that's not really working for us. We actually, uh, it's helpful to have some deadlines because we work better off deadlines. I was like, what? What? What are you talking about? Don't you just self-start and do it? They're like, no, that's not really how we navigate. We're millennials and Gen Z. You know, like, oh, oh, I see. Um, but they were willing to tell me about it. And they were willing to, to, to not just let it slide or just ignore it or like, man, I didn't learn that well under him, and, and so just last week, you know, put some stuff together and started to build a little bit more structure for them because that's what they're needing. But they were willing to point out, hey, this isn't working for me. This is kind of, it, it, it's not the best fit. It's not helping me be maximized, and they're willing to talk to me, and they didn't just ignore it. And that happens all the time in church. Just something maybe happens, and, and it rubbed you the wrong way, or you were bothered by it, and you're just tempted to like ignore it, because that would be way easier. And you ignore it once, and you ignore it twice, and you ignore it three times. And then after a little bit, you're just like, well, well I'm going to see if something better is over here. But God doesn't want you to ignore it. That's messed up, right? Mm-hmm. That's messed up. The best thing is like, hey, person. You got a booger right there. Oh, dang, thanks. <laughs> or you could just get it for me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But, but I, I was able to become a better leader for these guys because they were willing to say something that was slightly uncomfortable. And it, they probably don't even want more deadlines, but they know it's helpful for them to build better programs and for, to be better pastors. And so together we get better. They helped me in an area that I didn't see. And that happens all the time. I'm, I think probably a quarter or half of our churches emailed me at some point and said, hey, Pastor Sam, you're not doing this well or whatever. And I was like, oh, thank you so much for, for pointing that out. Or, or they're like, hey, you said this, that it, it hit me wrong. And, but rather than ignore it, they share it. And they say, oh, man, my intent was not. I'm so sorry for that. Because I, I want to grow. I, I want to be a better leader. I want to I build quality work. I don't want to build shoddy that's not a bad word. <laughs> Be careful. Shoddy. I don't I want shoddy work or use shoddy materials. I want to build well. And I appreciate when, when y'all are willing to help me because I definitely am not perfect. <laughs> and I love that there are other folks that are willing to help me build quality structure. And, and I think that's where we need to get as a church. So my desire for you as a pastor is that you bring to the church your gifts, whatever you have, that God has given you. Together we can build better and better by serving him together. And each of you have abilities and talents and qualities and unique passions and this kind of stuff that God has given you. And so I hereby give you full permission to exercise the gifts that God has given you, to, to do whatever he has asked you to do for the benefit of the church. I, I give you full permission to build your heart out, to build the best possible temple you can and when we're talking about temple, we're talking about those that are on our right and left. Give you permission to call them up and ask how they're doing, to write them a letter. Maybe you're just a letter writer. You can't even talk to them in person. Some of us are like this. But you have beautiful handwriting. You can write them a letter in the real mail and they get it. It's exciting stuff when you get a real mail letter and it's not a summons or jury duty or my insurance is due again. Maybe it's just something small like that that you can build the church in.
And you can inform me that you're doing that or not. I don't, it's okay. You could build without my permission. Oftentimes people say like, well, what can I do, Pastor Sam? Well, that's my question to you. I don't, I don't know what you can do. I don't know your life. What can, what can you do? What do you like to do? What are you gifted to do? And if you really don't know, I, I have a couple of cool resources that will help you. Some personality studies and some like uh, life experience studies that, that if you just go, you know, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to just go through some material that helps you refine out. If you truly don't know what you're good at or how God could use you, those are some helpful materials. I got them available if you ask. I'd love to share them. But my, my hunch is that you probably know exactly what you're good at and, and what you enjoy. And that's exactly what is needed here at this church. See, God, happened, God doesn't accidentally bring people around to stuff. He brings the right people in the right mix at the right time. And I'm looking out at the right people at the right mix at the right time to build an amazing church together. And so let's build this together on the foundation of Jesus, doing quality work, giving our best effort and our intent as we build God's temple. And God's temple are those that are right around us. So everyone, um, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Uh, I, I uh, have embraced cheesiness as a lifestyle, um, and so I'm going to ask that you actually stand up right now. And uh, sometimes my teen kids say that I'm a bit cringy, and that's okay. I embrace the cringe. And so I'm going to ask you to join me in a proper chant of whose house, God's house, okay? Just I, I had the Rams put that up for me. Uh, they... McVeigh was nice enough to put that uh, for us this morning. And so I'm going to ask it. We're going to do it three times. I'm going to do the whose house part. You're the Rams. Oh, oh man. <laughs> no, bad Rams house. You're the God's house. We're going to do this, right? And uh, I want to annoy our kids, okay? So I want your kids to think you're cringy. So let's be that loud. And we're doing it three times. You ready? I know. It's so lame. Who's that? Who's house? God's house. Who's house? God's house. Hey.